Genesis 43, verses 1 through 10. It says this, Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had bought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send them, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What would we what we told what what we told them was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die. Both we both we and you and also our little ones, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we hadn't delayed, we would now have returned twice. You guys take a seat. Jason, come on up. Let me pray for you. Lord, we want to thank you, man, just that, uh, that we're here. We're gathered here for your word. Uh, we thank you for the preparation uh, that has been put in this. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would speak boldly through Jason. We pray, Lord, that you would continue, man, just to guide us and, and allow us to understand your word, understand who you are a little bit more uh, through this message. And so, Lord, we thank you. Uh, we honor you. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Eric. Uh, quick question to start out today. Uh, and if you've experienced a lot of people in your life, you might have different opinions on this, but... Can people change, right? Do people really change? Uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine recently, and uh, we were talking about an older guy we knew, and I said, uh, that dude's really mellowed out a little bit in his older age. And my buddy said, no, he hasn't. He has less triggers, okay? Which I thought was interesting. I was like, well, here's an older guy who had a reputation for being a little explosive in his anger. And I said, oh, he doesn't really explode like that anymore. And the guy says, oh, no, he's not changed. He's just had less opportunities to act like that, which I thought was interesting. Um, but it comes back to that question, can people change? Can we change? Um, if you've ever watched the show Breaking Bad, just real quick, difference between me and Eric. Eric quotes Will Ferrell movies, and I quote Breaking Bad, right? Um, but if you've ever seen uh, Breaking Bad, or if you don't know the premise, and by the way, if you were to do a Google search like, top 10 shows of all time, it's almost always in that list. But if you don't know about the show, it's about a guy who's a chemistry teacher who has this change. And in the very first episode, uh, he's teaching a class and he says, chemistry, which I don't know how realistic this is, right? I'm not a science guy, but he says, chemistry is the study of change, which is sort of this like, they're tipping our, their hand in that first episode. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at change. And so really, the next, I think, five seasons is how a guy goes from being, right, a family man, high school chemistry teacher to the end of the series. He's like a drug king and cold-blooded killer, right? Not the change we're looking for, by the way, right? He, he goes the opposite direction. Um, but there's also the guy, Jesse, on there who has some change of his own. And, like, is his change good or bad? Uh, shifting a little bit more, how about Darth Vader, Right? Darth Vader, I would say, if you think about iconic movie villains, he's got to be up there. And yet, at the end, he kind of has this little heart change, right? Um, and as Christians, I would say it's pretty much impossible for us to not believe 
that people can change. They don't always change, but is it possible? We would say yes. You look at the disciples, right? These guys are uh, clueless and cowardly, and by the end of their lives, they're riding down inspired scripture. They're risking their lives uh, for the sake of the faith of Jesus Christ. Right? They, they believe it. They go from being cowardly to all of a sudden they're um, giving their whole lives for this. Or what about Paul? Paul starts out on a campaign to kill Christians, and by the end of his life, right, he's, he's you know, writing down a majority of Scripture, and um, probably is one of the most influential people in Christianity aside from Jesus, right? Big change from killing Christians to inspiring Christians. Uh, the very idea of belief in Jesus rests on the idea that we were once lost, now we're found. We were spiritually dead, now we're alive. That is change. Okay, uh, change is a huge part of Christianity, and we're going to look at people changing in the narrative of Joseph. Right? I was like, what is happening? Um, so, before we launch, let me recap what's happened so far, right? We've been a couple weeks into this now. Uh, Joseph is the beloved son of his father, Jacob, partly because uh, Joseph is the youngest of his sons, and I talked about this in our first sermon, but, you know, He's a guy who's had 10 sons already. By this point, he's probably a little older in his life. So I've, my observation is uh, guys who have had sons or kids in general later in life tend to be a little softer and kinder. Um, and for Jacob, right, first marriage, first wife, he's still married to her. He's tricked into marrying her. Uh, the woman he really loves, he marries second, and that's who Joseph's uh, mom is, right? The most loved wife with the most loved son. Because Jacob has not hidden this, his almost contempt for his other uh, sons, they plan to kill him. Instead, they, they sell him off as a slave. They take his robe, right? They dip it in blood, take it back to dad and say, you know what? Hey, we stumbled across this. So now Jacob, the dad, has been living all these years thinking his son is dead. Now we find Joseph, after he gets sold into slavery, he goes from Potiphar's house, kind of manages that home. Um, and as Rebecca so eloquently put it last week, she did some crazy stuff, right? Um, she accuses Joseph of sexually assaulting her, and he ends up in prison. So while in prison, he becomes the prison manager. I don't know how that would work, but it's prison manager. Two of Pharaoh's staff, guys who worked for Pharaoh, have dreams, and Joseph says, all right, so here's what the dreams mean. You're going to be reinstated, and you're going to be killed, right? And that works out just like that. The guy who gets reinstated says, hey, Joseph, when I get back to Pharaoh's court, I got you. I got you. And quickly forgets him, okay? Um, forgets it all. So then there's a famine, right? So during this time, that one of Joseph's, the gene was, hey, there's a famine coming. The only place to get food is in Egypt. So the ten brothers show up to buy grain from Joseph. He asks them a lot of questions, kind of like what Eric just read. Finds out that Jacob is still alive. And guess what? You have a brother now. He didn't know that. Um, and as a result of his questioning, he keeps Simeon, one of the ten brothers, and tells him, hey, look, you want to see Simeon again? You want to buy grain from me again? Make sure your little brother's with you. Bring him back. Okay? That's where we ended last week. So now we start up this week. Um, I want to talk about some characters here as we get ready to go into this. We have Joseph, right? Uh, he is the beloved son. He has been the beloved son following this, right? So he's 
he's kind of favored all the time. But he's, he's the youngest brother. He kind of rises in his family as the one. That's why he has the coat of many colors, right? He's, he's being showed favor. He gets put into Potiphar's house, rises up, runs that whole household. He gets thrown in jail, rises up, and kind of runs the prison. But he's always been kind of leading from a place of um, sort of, what's the word I would use here? He's always kind of influencing upward, right? Uh, now it's shifted. He's not in a prison. He's not running a house. He is running a country. Uh, it's possible that Joseph would have been the second most powerful person in the world at this time. Right? That's a big jump. The whole time we've been following Joseph, he's been sort of the underdog rising up. He's beyond that now. He is the man. Okay? He is a high ruler, leader, the man in charge. Very different role for Joseph right, than we've seen in the past. Right? That's important to note. Next, we have the ten brothers. Much of the focus of Joseph's story has been on Joseph. Uh, this is a big turning point in the story. Probably for the next couple of weeks now, we're going to shift from we're following Joseph to now we're going to follow the ten brothers, right? Just as you're kind of tracking with the story, if you've been following along, the focus is shifting. Um, so we're going to look at them. Then there's Jacob, right? He's the father. Uh, I talked about this in the opening sermon. Uh, he does not trust his sons. The ten brothers, it's not just that he favors Joseph because he likes him more. The other ten brothers are kind of knuckleheads, right? They have brought shame on him, disappointment, grief. And as you read the text, uh, Jacob is almost this uh, heartbroken, grieving, fearful, sad old man. Right? That's who he is. He's just this heartbroken dude who doesn't trust his kids and is just, he's just hurting, scared. He's an old guy like that. And then there's Benjamin. Right? Big shift for Benjamin is Benjamin is now the beloved son. Right? Joseph was the beloved son. Not anymore. Jacob thinks he's dead. Um, so now it's Benjamin, right? He's Joseph's full brother, which means, right, uh, Rachel, right, had Joseph, right? So now she has Benjamin too. So Benjamin is one of the favored sons now, right? Benjamin is. Right, so that's kind of our cast of characters as we move forward. And we read this in chapter 43. It says, now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. And then we skip down to verse 10. It says this. And this is Judah saying this to uh, Jacob. If we had not delayed, we would, have, uh, we would now have returned twice. All right, so here's something I never noticed. I've read, I mean, I've heard this story all my life. Something I never caught before was it's not like those guys, when Eric preached last week, they leave. Simeon stays behind in jail. They go back. They say, hey, Dad. Um. Here's the deal. We're probably going to need more food. And one of us is missing, if you haven't noticed. He's in jail. Uh, this guy who's leading um, leader in Egypt says, bring your brother back. I'll sell you grain again and you guys can go on your way. Right? That does not happen. Right? What happens is they wait until they're out of food. Right? The only reason why they go back is because they're running out of food. Um, and jo Judah even says to Jacob, hey, look, we got to go. We're we're out of food. We could have done this twice now. Here's what's important to note. Uh, Jacob, right, dad here, he's more worried about losing Benjamin, right, his beloved son, his favorite kid, than he is that Simeon is in jail. Okay? Like, he has not changed. Right? It's not that he doesn't care that Simeon's in jail. It's that he is so worried about losing Benjamin, 
his beloved son again that he would rather one of his boys sit in jail than just go back and get him out, right? He still is playing favorites, right? Have, do people change? Jacob hasn't. That's what we can see from the text. He has not. And if Jacob hasn't changed, then why would we believe the other ten brothers have changed, right? Um, and you got to wonder what Simeon is thinking while he's waiting, right? Like I said, this isn't like a week. We don't know how long he's there, but he's there a while. And he's like, huh, I sold out my brother, and now I'm sitting here. Will my brothers ever come back and get me? Uh, we did this to Joseph. You know, I know what my brothers are like. We don't know if he's thinking that, but could, he could be. What about Joseph, right? He's the one who puts Simeon in jail. And you've got to think he's wondering, right, they did this to me. Let's see what they do for Simeon. And they don't show up, right? It's not like they go and come back. He would know how far that journey is. They're nowhere to be found. Um, well, they do come back. Like I said before, that's because Jacob realizes we're going to die anyway, so let's go for it, right? But this is where we get to see how people change, right? Uh, the brothers experience some stuff. They experience some kindness, uh, but they also, they get a chance to make some choices. They make some decisions. And we really don't know if we've changed unless we get to face decisions, right? We can say we've changed, but until we're faced with something, we don't know. So we're going to look at kindness, and we're going to look at choices. Let's look at kindness first. 43.16 says, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men or to dine with me at noon. So the brothers come back to buy grain. He says to the steward, hey, bring these guys in. Right? Slaughter an animal, we're, we're going to feast. Here's what's pretty cool. And this time it's because Benjamin is with them. Um, they have their feet washed. They get this elaborate meal. Simeon is released. They're shown tremendous kindness. And imagine what it would be like for them to be given a feast during a famine. Right? That would be a pretty big deal. Also, they don't know who this guy is. So in the text, they're a little scared. Like, what is this guy going to do? Right? He's showering them with tremendous kindness. Um, and here's what I want us to see, right? The brothers have done nothing yet. They haven't done anything yet to show they've changed. According to, like, we don't know what Joseph is thinking, but he has no reason to believe that these guys are not the same ten guys that sold him out years before. And yet, he shows them tremendous kindness. Unearned, unproven. He just lavishes it on them. And as Christians... Right? We're shown tremendous kindness from Jesus. Right? We're shown tremendous kindness from the king of the universe long before we ever get to prove it to him, that we deserve it. Right? Or long before we've ever been able to say, hey, I'm sorry for my, my faults, my shortcomings, my crimes against Jesus, against the king of the universe. Long before we ever get to do that, long before we ever get to prove that we're really sorry for our sin, whether we are or not, he shows us tremendous kindness. Right? Kindness isn't earned, it's given, right? It's received. Uh, what's also different from this than last week is last week when Eric preached, Joseph speaks harshly to them, right? He doesn't enslave all of them, just holds one of them, right? But this time, he's very different. He shows them tremendous kindness. And the reason why, it's because Benjamin is with them, right? Um, Benjamin's, Benjamin is the beloved son of, and the brothers receive kindness because of him. That's the big difference here. This is what we experience as Christians as well, right? As followers of Jesus, uh, we receive kindness because for the sake of the beloved son that's with us, 
right? The ruler of the universe shows us kindness because the beloved son is with us, right? Where two or three are gathered, right? Jesus says, there I am among you. Jesus is here with us now, and we get, we receive tremendous kindness from the ruler of the universe because he's with us, right? We get his spirit. He's in us. So we receive kindness because of that, for the sake of the beloved son. So the kindness we receive isn't because of what we've done or haven't done. The kindness we receive is because we are with Jesus, the son whom the father loves and is well pleased. Do you see that? Right? The, the brothers just have Benjamin with them. Right? He's this picture of Jesus. And so they get kindness for his sake. Right? This time it's not Joseph who's pointing us to Jesus, but actually Benjamin. Right? They receive goodness just because the beloved son is with them. And they haven't done anything to earn it yet. Um, and here's the thing about kindness. It, it's a powerful tool. It's very powerful. Uh, this is why Ted Lasso may have been the most popular Halloween costume. Anybody see a Ted Lasso costume this year? Gosh, I saw Mitt Romney dressed up as, as Ted Lasso, right? Um, got a picture of Ted Lasso. Right. So if you don't know much about this show, I'd sum it up this way, right? Ted is this um, guy whose life is kind of falling apart. He's out of his depth, and yet he is kind and wants to make people's lives better despite his own issues. I mean, I've heard people say, I've had a bad day. I'm going to go watch some Ted Lasso, right? Because it's just so feel-good show, right? This is not an endorsement. I'm just saying, right? The world, the culture around us is so tired. Hear this. They're so tired and fed up with condescending, disrespectful attitudes they're seeing from media, from politicians, from public figures in and out of the church, okay? The world is tired of that. We're just, it's, we've had enough of it. And Ted Lasso makes people feel like there's hope that the world can be kind even when the world's not kind. Like maybe there's hope that the world can be better from a goofy guy with a mustache, right? And I'm not saying as Christians we need to act like Ted Lasso, but I am saying that this desire our world has for just some kindness, right, should come from us. Because we're people who've experienced kindness from the king long before we ever deserved it. So we should be people who give kindness to people who don't deserve it. Because we didn't deserve it, right? It's almost like this gospel pay it forward. You know, look what the kindness we've received. So we're going to show kindness. Um, and this leads to our application, right? How do we live godly lives in an ungodly world? We show kindness. After all, we are the brothers, right, who tried to kill God through a variety of ways, and yet even before we were sorry, even before we could own it, before we ever even tried to change, before we ever knew we did anything wrong, he gives us so much kindness, right? So how are we, we being kind in our daily lives? That's that's just a big question, right? When we disagree with someone, how do we respond with, do we respond with grace, truth, right, love? That's an act of kindness. Uh, but here, here's the thing that's helpful, I think, is, is, is one of the things, you, I don't know if you know this or not, but we, we send out our sermons, right, to our staff, and we read them, and then we give feedback. And so this was an issue we talked about, right? It was like, does kindness just mean being nice, right, and not really, you know, you don't want to say anything offensive? That's not it, like. Truth without love is harshness, right? But love without truth is sentimentality, right? We're, we're, not, we're not going for that. We, we're going to say hard things sometimes. We have to disagree with people on some things, right? But kindness is so much more about our attitude than it is on our rightness, okay? Um, we can be really right on an issue and not show kindness, and we haven't won anything in that, right? It's so much about our attitudes. Can we just be kind? Just be kind. 
Let's, let's avoid being right with a bad attitude. That helps no one. Right? Romans 2 says it's God's kindness. Think of this. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Right? So if we want to see the world change, which I think most of us here would say, yeah, we, we can look at the world and say there's some things that we would like the world to be different in. Um, if God's kindness leads us to repentance, why wouldn't we think that our kindness in the world around us could lead to some change? Right? If we want to see the world get more in line with God's kingdom, then uh, let's be more kind, even to people who don't deserve it. Because I'm going to say this for the 50th time. We received God's kindness long before we ever deserved it. Right? So it's like gospel pay it forward. I mean, look at the grace, kindness Jesus has given me, so I'm going to give that grace and kindness to other people as well. That's how people change. Right? If God's kindness leads us to repentance, then if we want to see people change, they need to receive some kindness. Right? And it might not change them. Right? But we still show it. So, how do people change? By receiving kindness. Well, let's continue looking at these guys, right? They, the brothers receive kindness. Um, and now we're going to see how they make some different choices. So, let me paraphrase what's happened before we read the text. Uh, they eat with Joseph. Um, Joseph, this was always interesting to me. Uh, Joseph gives Benjamin a double portion. Anybody read that text and you noticed that? So, like, they're at the feast. He, he lines them up by birth order, which you would think they would start going, how does he know this stuff? But he does, right? And um, he gives Benjamin a double portion. Now, these are brothers who hated Joseph because he was given special favor. He was treated differently. They were the brothers who would say, that's not fair, right? They were those guys. And we don't see it in the text, I'm, I'm assuming here. We don't see them get angry about this. We don't see them saying, he got a double portion. Where, where's our portion? Right? So I don't know if jo what Joseph's up to here, but I think he gives him a double portion. He's like, I'm going to see how they react. No one flips out, right? No one tries to take his portion. Um, then Joseph fills their sacks with grain. That's why they're there, right? And he has a silver cup placed in Benjamin's sack and sends them out, right? And then this, we read this text. This, we're going to read some verses here, but I thought, why paraphrase? I'll just read it, right? So when he overtook them, he spoke to them these words, right? They said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. We will also be my Lord's servants. And he said, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. Uh, Joseph is gangster here, right? Like, he totally sets these guys up, right? He gives them what they're there for. He gives them their grain, plants evidence, right, on Benjamin, and catches him. He wants to see how are the brothers going to act, right? Will they abandon the beloved son again? Right. They already did it once. That's how we ended up here. What will they do this time? What choice will they make? And here's the thing. They have so much to gain here. Uh, they really don't have much to lose. They have a lot to gain. They have Simeon back, right? They can get rid of Benjamin. Like they can get rid of him right now, go on their way, and no longer have to deal with the beloved son. Right? They can go back to Jacob and say, hey, we tried. 
but like Ben stole something. That's not on us, Dad. That's on him. Right? But they don't do that. And actually, they go back. It says they go back to the city. They return to the city with Benjamin. They don't leave him. And they tear their clothes, which would be a sign of deep remorse and sorrow of what's happened to them. In the next paragraph, uh, Joseph, which I didn't read this, he offers Judah that, hey, you guys can all go free. Right? I'm not holding this. You guys didn't do this. You guys would never sell out your brother. Like, you guys wouldn't do this. Uh, Benjamin's got to stay. The rest of you guys go back. It's all good. But Judah goes on to say, look, if we don't have Benjamin, right, our father will die. Right? Remember, he's a sad, heartbroken old man. He says, dad will die and I'm responsible for him. Right? These brothers have changed. Especially Judah. Um, if you remember, what's interesting is Judah is the one who suggested they sell Joseph. And now he's the one pleading for Joe, uh, Benjamin's life. And actually, we, I didn't read this either, but he actually says to Joseph, he says, hey, I get that one of us stole, even though he doesn't believe this. He says, let me stand in his place, right? Which we get the line of the tribe of Judah, right? So this is Jesus' lineage right here in Judah, right? The man who will step in and take, he's innocent, he's going to step in and take it for his brother, right? But uh, uh, Joseph says, nope. That's not going to happen. Um, here's what I want us to see about these brothers, right? They aren't afraid of getting caught. I think, this is, I think this is important. They're not afraid of getting caught. That's not why they're doing this, right? There's no getting caught for them. Uh, they're worried about breaking their father's heart. That's important. In the past, these brothers lied to their father. They shamed him. They broke his heart. They grieved him. They blatantly disobeyed him. Uh, but now they want to do the right thing. In fact, they fight to do the right thing, right, because they care for their father. Their motive is different than what it was years before when they did the same thing to Joseph. So they want to do the right thing not because they are worried about getting caught, because they love their father and they love their brother. So let me ask you this question. There's an example of this. Right? Do we do the right thing because we're afraid of getting caught? Or do we do the right thing because we're afraid of breaking our father's heart? Okay? So here's, here's an example. Let's say, um, hypothetically, let's say you're married and your spouse goes to a work party without you. You can't make it, right? And while they're at the party, this attractive person shows up to them and says, hey, look, I've been watching you at work. I know you're married, but I think we should go on a date, start an affair. What do you think? And your spouse says, you know what, that sounds like a lot of fun, um, but man, I just, we're going to get caught, all right? Um, and it would just be bad for my family. I don't know if I really want to do that. Divorces are costly. Uh, I'm just going to play it safe and not do that. Or do you want them to say, get away from me. I'm married to this amazing person, all right? It's not about getting caught. I have no desire to be with you because of who I'm with, all right? It's kind of like that. Which, anybody want the first one or the second one? Right? Right? And there's no chance of them getting caught, but they're just, well, they might get caught. Um, similarly, we all want our spouses, if we're married, we want them to stick to their vows, not because they were like, well, I made a vow. Because they love us. Right? It's different. It's different. Um, another example of this, when I was a kid, uh, I used to have to do chores around the house, and I hated doing them. 
Anybody hate doing chores as a kid? Like, I hated doing chores at my house as a kid, right? And, uh, and um, but when I would go to visit my parents as an adult, especially as my parents got older and more frail, chores didn't feel like chores. They were like, how can I love my mom and dad by just doing something for them, right? right? This is the change we see in these brothers. They fight for their brother. They care about their brother, not because they're going to get caught, but because they've changed and they love their brother and their father. And here's the thing, the mark of spiritual maturity for us, right? I know we're all on different places on this. We're all different places in our journey of following Jesus. But the mark of spiritual maturity is when we do the right thing or we say no to the wrong thing, not because we're worried about getting caught, not because we're worried about the repercussions, although those are important. We say no or we say yes because we don't want to break the Father's heart. That's the difference. We say no or we say yes because we love Jesus and we don't want to grieve him with our sin. Right? We make better choices out of love, not out of fear. Right? That's, that's the difference here. These brothers have been changed because they love their father, even though he's not probably very lovely. And they love their brother, although it costs them. Once again, the big idea, how do we live a godly life in an ungodly world? Well, we'll do that when we make better choices. Right? We just make better choices. But here's the thing. We don't know if we've really changed until we get faced with some of those choices. You tracking with that? Like hypothetically. So an example. Um, I would say in, gosh, I'm trying to how much of this is too much. I'm just going to, I'll just go for it, right? I would say in, 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 in church planning, right, uh, I've probably been more challenged with God's goodness than I ever have in my life, okay? And I'm not a guy who, like, hasn't suffered a lot. I've had some painful moments in my life. Right? And so, right now, I feel like my life is pretty good. Right? I, I feel very blessed. Um, I'm also not naive enough to believe that I'm going to go through the rest of my life without experiencing more pain and suffering. It's going to happen. If you don't think it's going to happen to you, I'm telling you it will. Right? So in that moment, when I'm experiencing some pain and suffering, am I going to question God's goodness or not? I don't know. But I won't know until like, the choice hits me. Right, until I experience it. Then I know I've changed or I haven't changed. Or, um, and maybe you're one of those people who have struggled with God's goodness. And I'm just saying, God's good, but do we know it until we go through some difficult times? Um, or for me, right, uh, I grew up in a home that uh, had some explosive anger at times. So that was modeled for me, and I struggle with that at times too. And so I, I can, like, I, I can be ready to take my kids, get them ready to get on the bus, and Everybody forgets what they need to bring. No one has a coat. No one has shoes on. And I've asked 20 times, are you guys ready to walk out the door? Yes, we are, Dad. And then it happens and they're not. And uh, I can lose my temper a little bit in that, you know. And I can say to Sarah later, I, I messed up. Like, I messed up. And then I can pray about that. I can ask Jesus to forgive me for that. Have I changed in that area? I don't know. Until I will find out tomorrow at about 810. <laughs> right? And maybe... Maybe you're one of those people as well, right? We have like, man, anger's not from God. It's, you know, not that kind of anger. Not anger that's just I'm mad because I'm being inconvenienced or I'm losing control or it's not going the way I want. But I won't know if I've really changed until I'm faced with that. Um, I know just statistically, right, um, looking at inappropriate things on TV, our phones, our computer, I don't have to go into detail on that. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Some of us are like, we've changed in that. But we won't know until 
we get presented with it. Like, are we going to get caught or not? Like, are we going to do the right thing because we, we're worried about getting caught or because, like, man, we, we don't want to grieve the Father's heart. And so just to be clear, it's not wise for us to put ourselves in situations where we're going to be tested. Like, we don't, it's not like if you struggle with alcohol to say, well, I want to see if I'm good or not, and you go to the bar. That's a bad idea, right? Don't do that. But there's going to be moments as we continue to walk with Jesus where we're going to get tested. We're just going to get tested. And it's not going to be like, it'll come out of the blue, right? Will we rescue our brother or not? We don't know until the moment presents it to us. But the way to live a godly life in an ungodly world is we continue to look at testing and these moments as opportunities to see if we've changed or not. Right? We won't know until we hit those moments. The brothers are faced with the same test again. And this time they passed. Praise God. Right? The test was out of their control. Right? But Joseph sees they care about the brother. They care about the beloved son. They care about our dad. And they pass. And what about us? Right? If we pass the test, right, we praise God for his work in our lives. Right? We praise God that there's fruit of the spirit. We say, thank you, Jesus, you're doing something in me. Awesome. But if we don't pass, right, like maybe tomorrow morning, I won't pass at 810, right? Maybe my kids will upset me again. Maybe somebody will cut me off in traffic. Maybe something will happen and I just, I lose my temper, right? It's another opportunity for us, right, to come to the feet of Jesus, to receive his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. It's another opportunity just to come and sit before him. And there's win in this, right? I'm not saying we fail the test, but I'm saying for the Christian, it's not like, well, it's over. It's another opportunity for us to experience the depth of his grace and his mercy and his kindness for us, right? And to understand our own hearts, to say, wow, I've, I've got some shortcomings. I've got some failures. I've got some sin in me that still needs to be dealt with. And so guess what? When I pray, I can just say, Father, forgive me for this and this and this, and I get to experience his grace and mercy, right? It's constant, right? We praise you, Jesus, for the growth you're doing in me, or thank you, Jesus, for revealing my sins so I can experience more of your growth in me, right? Just go back and forth with this, right? See, like, here's the thing. Change is possible. That's good news for all of us. Like, we can all change, right? We can all change, and the first step is Realizing that we've received his kindness. we received his kindness. Um, and we share that kindness with other people who don't deserve it. Right? Because we don't deserve it. And as we continue to grow in our love for Jesus, I'd say over the course of our lives of following Jesus, our motives change. Right? We don't do the right thing because uh, we're worried about getting punished. Although we don't do the right thing because we don't want to be punished. Right? We don't live a godly life because of the benefits it brings, although we do live a godly life because it does bring benefits. But ultimately we do it because we don't want to grieve the Father's heart with our sin, right? He still loves us, right? We don't want, we don't want to feel that, right? So we continue to live godly lives because we love Jesus, not out of fear. And so as we get ready to receive communion, worship team, you guys can come on up. Um, let's get ready to receive his kindness. And that's kind of what communion is a picture of, right? You're, you're getting ready to come up here, and I believe uh, whoever's doing communion, right? Like, they're going to say the body of Jesus broken for you, the blood of Jesus shed for you, right? This is a picture of them saying, hey, receive the kindness of Jesus, right? Receive his kindness, right? He is molding us and shaping us so the next time we're faced with a test, right, we'll make the right decision.
right? Because of his kindness. And we don't, we still get his kindness. We keep coming back to him. We keep coming back to him. So if you guys wouldn't mind, go ahead and bow your heads. Close your eyes as I pray for us. Jesus, I thank you so much that you've given us kindness. We were the very people, because of our sin, had you crucified. And yet, say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Uh, We thank you that as a result of your spirit, you've shown us, oh, we do know what we're doing. Our sin does hurt you. What a gift that is. So Jesus, I pray that we would bask in your kindness. That we would just sit in that knowing that, wow, you've been kind to us. You had every reason to be mean, and yet you showed us kindness. And so I pray that we would be the people that show kindness as well. And as we get ready to come forward to receive communion, may we see this, that you are inviting us to the feast. Just like Joseph invited his brothers to the feast for the sake of the beloved son. So may we receive your goodness and may we give you everything about us, our shortcomings, our failures, our sins. You take that on yourself and you give us kindness, grace, and mercy. So this morning... If you've received the kindness of Jesus or you want to receive his kindness, you were invited to receive communion this morning as as he takes your sin and gives you his grace and mercy. So when you're ready, 